0: Welcome to the 18th episode of the Formula E Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jack George mainer and we'll be talking everything about a crazy Santiago E-Prix. With me today to discuss the third round of the championship is the one and only Tobias Bloom from E-Formel D. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm very well. It's been a It's been a great start to the year and we've had a great race already to kick us off for the rest of the campaign. So, a lot to talk about tonight.
1: Oh, a lot to talk about. So much going on in, in Chile.
0: No, for sure, for sure. There was so much to talk to talk about, and I can't wait to get on to it. But first and foremost, we have a really important announcement to make. So, um, <clears throat> just a few Patreon updates, basically. Just a massive thank you to Daniel Milford and Sean Johnson, who have become patrons to the podcast and uh, are helping, supporting us. And I, I can't say how much... I appreciate, and obviously Tobias and everyone at Formula Rezone appreciates your support. It's, it's a massive plus for us um, in terms of knowing that you guys enjoyed it, what we're doing. And we want to keep improving our content, of course, to try and make sure that as many people like it as possible. But your support so far has been admirable. So a massive thank you. Thank you. Right, I think, Tobias, we just need to get straight into it, okay? Because there's just so much disgust, there's no point beating around the bush. So we've got to start with qualifying, because qualifying was pretty crazy. And we're going to start with qualifying group one, because straight out of the blocks, okay, we had an impact from Oliver Rowland and Lucas Degrassi in the first group of qualifying. Just sum up, just what happened?
1: Oh, madness happened. Um, I think it all started in FP2, even.
0: Um, With a late crash in in
1: the second practice session, uh, barely anyone got a lap at 250 kilowatts in. I think Ollie Rowland was one of the few who managed to set a lap time in in full power mode.
0: Yes, and it ended fastest. But he
1: was one of the ones who spun in qualifying. Um, Well, well, he didn't spin. He, He lost control over his car and slammed into the wall of turn... 3, I guess? No, turn yeah, 5. Yeah, but I think
0: exit of turn 4-5. Yeah. Same place where Ma did it hilariously in practice 2, which caused the red flag, yeah. which then caused everyone right. really not to get a qualifying simulation <laughs> in. Yeah, and
1: that's pretty much where it started, with a Ma crash in FP2, and then Roland losing it in, in qualifying group 1. He was one of the few ones who managed to get a 250 kilowatt qualifying lap in before qualifying, so he was out of the run-in, and I think there was no driver who Managed to get out of the first two. No, not at all. Or no driver out of the first two qualifying groups who managed to get into the Super pole shootout.
0: Hmm. No, which, yeah. was, which was interesting, but and I was actually quite surprised, and uh, we'll talk about it in just a sec of just how slow Group One and Group Two were, because obviously Group One yeah. we're sort of used to it with the you know the dirty side of the track, but at the same time you know they were saying that you know Santiago wasn't as dirty as say Diria was. And I think you could see that, yes, it, it had its leaves, right? But, you know, if you look at Group 1, Lotterer was the first driver out, and that's like the curse. You never want to be the first driver out. But he wasn't the slowest driver in that group, and he was the first person sort of creating the cleaner line, in air quotes. So, yeah, it was, I was actually quite surprised because they were running about a mid-105 to high-15s, where in practice, 2, we saw the quickest time being a mid-104. And when Group 2 went out, it was actually quite surprising that no one sort of, they were still in that mid-105 range rather than like sort of bettering what Group 1 did which we've seen consistently I think now through disqualifying uh, format that Group 2 are able to beat Group 1 or the majority of Group 2 are able to beat Group 1 with maybe some exceptions here and there. So it was it was quite surprising to see that, I thought that was interesting.
1: Yep, so did I. I think with Lotra going out first... uh, I mean, Lotra going out first in qualifying one wasn't too much of an issue for him because he took kind of an odd slot to go out. Uh, Your... (laughs) I I think it's a matter of Jovas, of course, kicking up the dust, and he went out in a slot in which he was, of course, the first one out, but then did his... Outlap and all the other drivers came out at that point. So he had drivers in front of still in front of him, kicking up dust and that might have helped him a bit with the grip. I think that was the reasoning behind Porsche's thinking there. Um but yeah. B- b- still didn't work work out for him.
0: Andre started the race in fourteenth hmm. in the end. He started yeah. in
1: fourteenth. Fair enough. Um Behind his teammates. Um,
0: yeah, and, and it's about right for a group one qualifier. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so just the only interesting thing to knock uh to, to mention, sorry, is obviously the, the Crassy crash, which happened not directly after uh Oliver Rowlands, but it was sort of in just well basically just after. Basically he just avoided Rowland, was a bit annoyed, thinking there'd be a red flag, but there wasn't one. And he just completely locked up going into turn nine, lost the back end, and sort of nudged the wall, and that was his qualifying over, which was such a shame for Degrassi.
1: He got a bit too greedy, didn't he? <laughs> I think he.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and he uh, sure.
1: tweeted about it and shared an Instagram post about it. He just wanted too much after losing the time, of fighting or not fighting with Roland, but having to avoid the crashing Roland. Uh, he just got greedy and wanted to make up the time he lost and then locked up, lost control over his car going into turn nine, which is a really, really tricky corner anyway. And then if you're trying to make up time uh, that you're not supposed to be making up in that corner, um, well, things go horribly, long, horribly wrong. And, uh, well, that's, that's what happened to him.
0: I think turn nine is one of the corners on that track where it is key to the lap time. Like, if you get it right, you can be super quick. I reckon you can shave quite a few times, because if you break at the right time and get it in stopped and out... You're going to gain time. If you break too early for that corner, you know, I feel like you're going to you're gonna lose time. You're going to put time on the table. You probably could say that for any corner. But I really think turn nine was one of those. So I can understand maybe why he thought, well, I've got to go for this one because, you know, it's do or die. But I think a season three champion should know it's better just to post a time. Because even if he hadn't have made that mistake, you never know. He might have started 16th. He might have started 15th he could have had a time somewhere where he could have been midfield not right at the back so i think it's so hard to to sort of critique a world-class yeah. driver but at the same time you're thinking maybe you should have realized not to go too hell for lever, just try and keep the car on the track because track position and formulary e is everything
1: hindsight is a great thing isn't it <laughs> yeah
0: i know i, I know i it's, think it feels weird at the same time but. yeah
1: but remember you're unqualifying it's you have to put everything on the line there and it doesn't matter whether you're whether you're a season three champion or or not um you want to qualify first or as far up the grid as possible and i don't think any driver would think about well i've lost time uh, time in in sector one i I'll, I'll just have to finish the lap now no they still want to make up the time they lost um, so yeah fair enough um, No, I, to-
0: I totally agree with you uh, and in the situation I know I'd probably do the exact same as Lucas yeah. Degrassi Grassi because you're, t- you're trying to fight to get as many temps back as possible and it just didn't work out for him and you know on other days you never know he might have lost a couple temps and then we've seen Mega Sector 2s and Mega Sector 3s where you're like oh they pulled out the bag and you're like wow Uh, And that's the thrill of qualifying when they actually, you know, they do bite the cherry a little bit too hard and sometimes they get away with it. Um, So, but this time for Degrassi, he didn't. So, moving on to group two, because group two was just as eventful as group one with Robin Frines. Now, Robin Frines just doing Robin Frines things. And I probably (laughs) said Robin Frines way too many times. But man, that spin at turn one, but he didn't hit anything. I thought that was incredible. Yeah.
1: Lucky guy. (laughs) <laughs> that was a matter of inches, I think. He locked the rears going into Turn 1, which was a new, redesigned, free profiled left-hander, then leading into a right kink um, before joining the old circuit with the Turn 3 attack mode and all of that. And drivers were trying to straight-line Turns 1 and 2 as, as much as possible, especially Andre Lotra was one of the ones who uh, visibly took a different line um, compared to all, all his competitors. And I think France also went for it, tried to break as late as possible, and then, well, the usual Formula E mistake, locked the rears, happens, and lost control over his car going into the first corner, and then spun round and slid just, yeah, just inches away from the wall back onto the circuit, um, blocked Edo Mortara at the point, who was driving right behind him, uh, yet Edo managed to set the quickest lap time in, in qualifying too um, and almost made his way into superpole. Um But that was a really impressive lap from, from the Ventura Giles as well. But yeah, arguably France spinning, Edo having to, to avoid him, then going on to set the quickest lap, one of the moments of the qualifying session. Had it not been for one driver... Uh, from the beautiful United Kingdom um, starting and <laughs> qualifying Group 4 uh, by the name of Ollie Turvey.
0: This was just wow. What about this him? Was, <laughs> this was a wow moment and I... Ugh. Not much is said about Oliver Turvey and you'd feel like at a drop of a hat, if Neo were to go bust or if, you know, they didn't take him on for next season, I feel like Oliver Turvey wouldn't have a seat in Formula E for the following season for whatever reason, right? I think he's just a man that goes under the radar, but time and time again, he puts, he outperforms the car. You have to remember, he is running a season five Dragon Racing powertrain and that powertrain itself wasn't very good last season. And he's gone and he put that in the top five in group four in a car that in testing was like a second the lap slower. It was mighty. And I, I said in a tweet, I was like, put that man in a Tech Cheetah or a BMW. And I stand by that. Because if he had a car that was capable of winning races or fighting for a podium, like a Jaguar, for example, like with Mitch Evans, He'd be there. I'm sure of it. Like, it just blows my mind how Oliver Turvey is one of those men who's considered such a really good Formula E driver, but has never really. Neo has gone up and down, and it's it seems to be on a r- proper downward spiral at the moment.
1: Especially down, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and no one's gone. You know what, Oliver? will take you. I just find it crazy.
1: Yeah, he's a spectacular driver. He's always been as you say he's always been out performing his car and he's been on pole before in the I think the team was called Next EV back then it wasn't Neo but it was Next EV Neo uh, so the predecessor predecessor of the current team Um, and then the many
0: predecessors
1: uh, one of the many (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, yeah really impressive job Um, yeah nothing to add to that just just outright amazing that
0: and and to just harp on about Eduardo Mortara, just quickly, just to wrap that bit up, it was hilarious on the team radio where he was like, <laughs> no way, no way, you're lying. How am I first? I just had to break and avoid Robin Friens. How have I just put the quickest time? And you're right. He just missed out on Super Pulse starting seventh. Um, so uh, credit for him. I thought another team that I wanted to do a special shout out for, for qualifying before we move on to the race was Venturi. Because obviously Eduardo Mortara, is part of the Venturi team, and Felipe Massa also managed to creep in. Well, didn't really creep into to Superpole, qualified fourth in total. I thought, yeah, I think this this change for Venturi to actually go to the Mercedes powertrain has actually been a stroke of genius, probably by Susie Wolff. It probably made sense. But their performances so far this season, even in FP2 in in Santiago, they were quick, and they they backed that up in qualifying. Yeah,
1: you would think that Venturi being a really, or not a really small team, but a reasonably small team, uh, certainly not as big as the big OEMs like Porsche and Mercedes and all of them. Venturi is a reasonably small privateer team um, with a customer powertrain, yet they still managed to, squeeze out those good results we've we've seen them being really really competitive in in Saudi as well and now them qualifying in fourth and race uh, (laughs) two (laughs) thoughts at the same time (laughs) qualifying fourth and seventh and finishing the race um well (laughs) ninth and where did the other venturi well, he being didn't finished, cross the line, though, P21, yeah. But being we'll being competitive that. for most of the race, uh, although the, the race result doesn't show their competitiveness. Um, really impressive job by them. And um, I think we will have to expect a Venturi podium at some point in the year. Not that I'm trying to I jinx think anything. So for sure. um, but yeah, I think there's a possibility of them getting a podium this year.
0: If if they don't try and crash into each other and <laughs> they you know keep it Formula E is all about having a, a clean race and Santiago by was nowhere near a clean race and ha, trying to get a clean race in, in Formula E is pivotal to success and I think that's what Venturi if Venture were to have a clean race and if they had a clean race in Santiago it was double points finish it could have been a double top five finish it was it was looking there or at least By two cars in the top six like you know they had pace and i feel like you know they've shown it at times in previous seasons like they weren't a team they had their days like they had their moments like hong kong for some reason the venturi car used to love hong kong um they probably gutted that we're not going to hong kong this season (laughs) because it just lit up at hong kong but then you'd go to another track and you're like they won the last race mortoro did win a race he did uh, by default technically um he did win the hong kong e Prix last year and you know but then you turn up to the next race you're like where did that venturi pace go so um this season with the mercedes powertrain it just looks a little bit more together for them so you know if they can keep it clean because they've got two drivers who are experienced enough to keep it clean you know they could they could you know upset a few of the big oems uh, this season for sure
1: I guess so, yeah. I mean, it's it's still a long year ahead. So many things and so many variables will play into success, as they do in Formula E. But I think if Venturi keep developing like they're currently doing, their time will come soon enough.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think they could be the underdog, like... I think we all talk about Mahindra like I always talk about Mahindra being that underdog being that team that will sneak in unheard of you know against these big OEMs like as you say Porsche Mercedes uh, Audi the list goes on BMW um but you know Venturi if they keep going at the way they're going they'll challenge Mahindra for that spot of well if you're not going to pick up the pieces then we will so you know, Mahindra might have a bit of a bow because Mahindra have held that sort of best of the rest sort of title for a long time, or the, like, the best of the smaller teams. Hmm. And you know, Venturi, you know, could easily come and pimp, uh, you know snatch that away from them.
1: Although calling Mahindra a small team is an understatement; they're a huge. I think major... they less... uh, manufacturer in India they don't seem too big to us Europeans but Mahindra is a big ass team
0: it is a big team like I'm not going to and I'm not going to deny that at all but when you're talking the Mahindra against the like I know because they're less well known you are expecting (laughs) BMW uh, Audi, Jaguar to to beat Mahindra right and I've said it to Dealbag so many times like is this is Formula E the way that Mahindra promotes itself to the rest of the world? Could we see Mahindra's, you know, in Europe as one of the electric cars that you can buy? And Dilbag's like, it's like, it's not really a question for me to, to answer, and I appreciate him saying that. But at the same time, he, deep down in his heart, he would love that to happen. He would love that Mahindra would be able to go into break into the European market with a car and actually sell cars. In Europe because they don't really at the moment so I yeah it is a big company but I still think that we we talk about them in this underdog you know story because I think it is an underdog story for a little time well they're not little in India but an unknown manufacturer to the rest of the world coming in and all you start hearing because it's it's massive it's marketing at the same time like when you have Formula One with Mercedes winning the race If people, more people, more people are now starting to watch Formula E and if Mahindra were to start, you know, gathering momentum and actually like picking off people, picking off wins and picking off podiums like they have been doing, then more people would be like, oh, Mahindra seemed to know how to make an electric car. Maybe we can buy a a Mahindra one day. And, you know, Mahindra need to obviously do something with that. It doesn't make sense from me as a personal standpoint. I know this is like a mini tangent like going into a world championship as it will be from next year and not use that as a way to say look at us we're a manufacturer we sell cars why not think when you're buying your next electric car buy Mahindra so you know if Mahindra were to be one of the best cars and they produced a good car I know I'd be happy to buy a Mahindra at this rate but they've got to get in the market space for that
1: win on Saturday said on Monday right yeah <laughs> In fairness, though, Mahindra also v- was very good in in qualifying. weren't they? Pascal Wehrlein yes, making superpole, qualifying fourth.
0: Yep, yeah, qualified P three. Three? It was a good day for Mahindra. I think he qualified fourth. Yeah, it was he, Yeah, qualified P three. So ended it superpole in third. Mm, yeah. Okay. I think
1: he ended in fourth, but, but doesn't matter. No, m- Top I've five. got master in fourth.
0: <laughs> Top. I've got master in fourth. What my, my sheet here that says from the ah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Ah, yeah. I'm. I'm Pascal my, my
1: sheet's wrong. Yeah. Uh, th- they qualified Lovely. at the same time, and yes, they did. Verlein set us before Massa Yeah, <laughs> so that's why.
0: That, that's why that was
1: fun as well. Ah,
0: but you know, D'ambrosio could have just—he uh, had that problem, obviously coming out with the final hairpin. Oh, he's his just lap. so
1: unlucky, this guy.
0: I've I've spoken to
1: him in when was it? October, I think, or September when Mahindra launched their car and he was he was ready for the year and he was he was he saw what Mahindra could be capable of. Remember Mahindra restructured their entire operation over the summer. Um, they uh, hired lots of people from Campos and then kind of also split up with Campos so they, they had a relationship before that and Campos was pretty much running their, their trackside operations and Campos, obviously being Spanish, Mahindra working from their their factories in the UK, and having political influence from India, s- just some on, on, on the way between all these three points all around the globe. S- well, efficiency in in the uh, workforce just disappear, and Mahindra felt the need to split. Um, from campus, but then hire lots of engineers from campus so, so that now Mahindra Racing is a Mahindra-only run operation. Um, still a lot of Spanish engineers within the team, but they're all now employed by Mahindra, and the team underwent a major restructuring process in the summer, and Jerome was ready when I spoke to him. He was... I mean, he didn't, f- 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 <laughs> of course, he always tried to squeeze out of the drivers a bit of, well, uh, can you win this year or anything? But, uh, but he didn't want to talk to me about winning, but he was <laughs> he was ready and ambitious. And now he has all of this bad luck, remember, in in Saudi when he didn't make the start with the issue getting off the line. Now, in, in qualifying in Santiago, his drive shaft or somewhere in the transmission, any, something broke. And him not making it into the top 10. He started the race from P20. Um, yeah. And, spoiler alert, finished the race in P18. That wasn't great either. He's got so much bad luck. And at the same time, Pascal Wehrlein is having all of it. He's qualified in, in P3, um, made up, spoiler alert, a place going into turn one, and ran second for for a couple of laps. Uh, finished the race in P4. Um so yeah, Pascal is at the, at the moment having all of the luck of Mahindra and Jerome's having none of it. <sighs>
0: yeah. It was it's it's sad because it's, I know we've talked about qualifying for a long time, but you know, he, he was on course, he was he was lapping quickly as well. He could have m- squeezed it into Super Bowl, easily squeezed it into the top 10. And it could have been, you know, a, a different race for Mahindra and a different race for Jerome D'Ambrosio. Um, just to to wrap up Mahindra in terms of where you say that you said they finished with Pascal Verland being fourth in the end uh, he said that was basically the maximum they could do and he said with all the sort of changes that's gone through the team it's just they're still getting used to their new powertrain and and you know just trying to make it as efficient as possible so he said fourth was probably the best that they could achieve. You know, It was great that he was able to get up into second, but he knew as soon as he got there, he was defending for his life. So on that little segue, we we'll sort of move in to the e-pre section, the actual race section, and actually begin to digest 45 minutes plus one lap of mayhem.
1: Crucially, plus one lap. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start. Maybe at the race start. Um, But so much happened. Oh. um, Evans on on pole position. We didn't mention Evans all all episodes so far. No, we didn't. Mitch Evans qualified on pole, by the way. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Got off the line. Maxi for second.
0: Verline third. Massa was fourth. Turvey amazing in fifth. And your top six was rounded out by Sebastian Buemi. There we have it. But (laughs) here we go. Race time. I'm ready. I've got my. Well, I don't have my race boots on, but I'm ready. (laughs)
1: Well, so, Evans got off the land reasonably well. Um, Gunther obviously starting... Well, he started on the inside going into Turn 1, which sounds... So people
0: were thinking that he might have a good chance of actually, like, being in the lead come... That's right, yeah. ...come Turn 1.
1: But keep in mind, the inside is where all the dust is. And that's the dirty side of the road. Because the driver... Obviously, the final corner on the circuit is a left-hander. So you swing out to the right-hand side of the road, and then you turn left for the next, for the first corner, which also is a left-hander. So all the grip is on the right-hand side of the road, and that's where both Evans and Verline started. Um, Gunther having, well, theoretically the better line into turn one, but practically having worse grip, and uh, that meant he lost out to Pascal Wehrlein. Um, so going... Out of the first couple of corners, it was Evans ahead of Verline ahead of Günther.
0: Yeah, you know what? the The circuit layer reminds me a little bit of Montreal, where in terms of where Verline was. I'm thinking was, the same. Yeah, yeah. It sort of had that sort of lit that sort of left, and then it sort of dipped into the right. So it allowed the people who were on the outside, like the Verline. This is basically how he got the move done, because then he was round the outside going into turn one, but then he had the inside. For the turn two. Just like at Montreal. At the Gilles Villeneuve circuit. So he was. that's how he was able to get the move done. Because obviously he's got the better grip. So he's side by side basically going into turn one. And then he's able to then carry that momentum. Through turn one into turn two. Where he then has the inside. So he can push Gunther away. And off he goes. And he secured second. But what I want to talk about next. I want to talk about the midfield. And our former championship leader. Alexander Sims. Because I just think. He, he qualified 15th, obviously a great qualifying in, in Diria last time out, but didn't start 2020 on the right foot because he was obviously down in the mid pack and he was just on a mission way too early. It was like a five minute sprint race lobby on <laughs> like F1 2019 online or something like that. Because, great, what a fantastic movie did then round turn nine to get past Lotterer and try to get also past Nil, Niljani. And then he decided on the first lap to try and dive bomb four drivers down the inside. Well, it was Into work. the hairpin of Turn 10. <laughs> and of course, of course, it ended in disaster <laughs> because he, he he banged in, I think he banged into DaCosta Costa because that's where the Costa said, you know, that's my steering was never straight after that collision with Sims at the beginning of Turn 10. So he picked up damage and Sims had already picked up damage because then going down the start finish straight, he was smoking along the floor. So obviously there was something broken. And then about a lap or two later, he's falling down, he's plummeting down the field and he causes the first full course yellow and and had to retire. I just felt like from Sims, it was just far too aggressive to start the race. Like you don't want it. It's so easy in Formula E to get. Picked off in the midfield, and that's why it's so dangerous. And it's one of the reasons why I don't like the only gr- grime I really have with the qualifying system is that, yes, it puts them in the midfield, but then, you know, for no reason, you want these championship drivers to be in the race and then taken out by something that's happened in the midfield crashing. But I suppose that's part of Formula E. But I just felt it was too aggressive.
1: <laughs> he was aggressive, yeah. I wouldn't say too aggressive. Um, luck favors the bold is that how, this, how, how the saying goes Or luck favors the brave The brave or the bold doesn't matter both of them um <laughs> same thing <laughs> same thing and um yeah didn't work out for him i think the team said he he had to um um, um park the car after he made contact with the wall did he make contact with the wall
0: i think well he made contact with everyone because um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I wouldn't put I wouldn't put a wall past it because you have to remember. Then a couple of laps later, he was trying. Lotterer managed to pass. Lotterer tapped him, going into turn two, and then he was fighting Lotterer, and they literally bashed into the side of each other um, at turn three. And so he might have hit a wall in there somewhere as well. But yeah, from what all the video evidence shows of the race highlights, is that. He just basically took a bit of paint work off every car he was racing again.
1: <laughs> he wanted a nice, nice colourful rainbow livery.
0: Yeah, yeah. The blue, <laughs> b- black, white, purple was wasn't enough. Yeah,
1: he wanted some of the red, white, and, and black <laughs> wanted, as well. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he wanted a bit of everything. <laughs> then he covered all colour bases. He's got a bit of every car on there, multicultural.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think Sims in the first couple of minutes was a great great symbol for the rest of the race and how it all turned out formula E sometimes feels like a bit of a touring car race doesn't it
0: yes I, that's how i described it i described it in my race report well, i don't think it was in my race report but as a tweet tweet i think i definitely uh mentioned it in the e-notes it was just an old-fashioned touring car race where it was just grip and everything's just bang get out the way yeah. bang get out the way you know, also a demolition derby. You could also um, <laughs> no, go that touring far. car race,
1: not demolition derby, <laughs> but, um, because
0: yeah, but a mad touring car race for sure. Th- th- that's
1: one of the major differences between Formula E and any other single-seater championship, in my in my impression. Not only, of course, that they are <laughs> powered by by electric power, but the cars are designed to have t- to withstand some degree of contact. And Formula E, or let's put it this way, Gen 2 of Formula E is designed to be a contact sport. And Sims took that a bit too literally, I feel. Um, But still, the scrappy race we've seen in, in Santiago that's really what the cars were made for. They're not this fragile, fragile delicate that design like we see in, in, in F1. Formula E cars are designed to withstand some, some degree of, of contact and that's why we see such scrappy races.
0: I know, but it literally was just incident after incident after incident. Because the next big one really was Oliver Rowland again. Turn 10 provided it's... I think it's the one thing with hairpins is that it, you know, you do get that last ditch, you know, move down the inside. And Oliver Rowland tried it on Daniel Apt and it didn't work. He hit Apt, hit Bird. Bird was sent spinning. Rowland completely damaged his front wing, and that exploded and cascaded across the start finish straight. So <laughs> no, he no. and yeah, <laughs> what did you make of that sort of collision with Rowland, Apt and Bird?
1: Uh, yeah, Roland's the one to blame for <laughs> all the, all of that that happened. Um, bit ambitious just like we've seen with Alex Sims in, in the first couple of laps. Um, try, he tried to make a move on, I think it was Daniel Laftey tried to make the move on, um, but made contact yeah, with the Audi who then got shoved into the, the car of Sam Bird uh, which <laughs> caused Bird to spin lose out. Poor Bird. Poor Bird, yeah just the innocent bystander in that case and yeah he's just poor bird um and also poor nico muller because he was the one getting held up by everything that yes. happened there he had i mean he came to a full stop and <laughs> had to wait he until did, did. bird had had his car turned around and he reversed back over the circuit and muller had to wait all the time <laughs> and yeah poor nico
0: Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, the Dragon probably didn't need that sort of bad luck. You know, you're trying to, you want to try and, you know, take advantage of that situation, not get completely held up and have your race destroyed by that. But, yeah, uh, for Roland, it was just a shame, really. Um, Completely destroyed his race, ended up pitting, then came out, got a drive through for that collision. But again, sort of destroyed his race. It's so easy. At the same time, we say how robust these cars are, but at the same time, it's really easy to see how, you know, you can just ruin your race by just having a a Banzai move down at a hairpin. Um, so he sort of lost out massively from that. But the two two teams, well, two teams, one team that I really want to focus on now that was really moving up the field, you know, and taking advantage of this was Tech Cheetah. Because remembering De Costa, Verne, you know, they were had a quiet, a quiet race to begin with. They started down in 10th and 11th. And they casually just started moving their way as Tech Cheetah always seemed to do, towards the front of the field.
1: They had great pace. Oh, words. They had great pace. Um, yeah, I mean, arguably the Tech Cheetah is, again, one of the quickest cars on the grid this year. And, well, they, they really showed that. And qualifying, of course, suffering because of the whoop system and both drivers started outside of or just inside the top 10, I think, Antonio Felix da Costa started in P10, Jeff P11, and then they made their way to the front. And at some point we're running third and fourth, I think. And, uh, well, that's when all hell broke loose, uh, between the yep. cheaters. Um, Jack, explain why. What happened between the two of them?
0: Well, basically, Vernon managed to pick up some damage along the way. We don't know where Vernon picked up this damage, but it could have been anywhere. It could have been Alexander Sims. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> that was
1: within the first couple of laps as well. Not because um, of Alex, but because of... We're always blaming Alex. He, he, yeah, <laughs> poor Alex. It wasn't Alex, just a bit you. too much and too ambitious of a yeah. move, but he wasn't... He wasn't. Yeah. I don't even Can think it, Alex, it, Alexander Sims I think it. Vern
0: was ahead by the time I think Alexander Sims just got in the way of the Costa I think Vern was uh, a bit further up the road or, the, or that one place up the road um, but anyway Vern had picked up some damage on one of his like end fences wheel covers uh, the left hand side one I believe it is. And basically that failed. Now, as I said, I mentioned this in the eNotes episode, sometimes your front wing's flapping, and we've seen it so many times, Tobias. If you have to think back to Paris with Robin Frines, where hmm. it was loose, it was obviously a different type of loose to what Rob, uh, John Eric Verne's was in, in Santiago. But we've seen drivers get away with slight damage to the front wing and been able to continue. But John Eric Verne, his luck, bit like season five at the beginning of the season, it was just not... You know, it was just not there. And it failed running in P3. uh, No, P4 at the time. I think it was P3 because Evans had dropped back. So, and it it just completely failed. It completely failed. It was smoking across the ground. And, uh, you know, he stayed out for two laps. And there was a bit of hell breaking loose between him and DaCosta because DaCosta wanted to get past because obviously Vern's now slow. And it was a great radio exchange with DaCosta saying, like, this is not what a factory driver does you know, or a lead driver does. He doesn't just hold up everyone now because he's got a problem, especially when, you know, your teammates, you'd let the teammate through and then maybe try and hold everybody up. But you wouldn't try and you know, Costa lost a lot of time there and that, you know, could have been one of the reasons why he didn't actually end up winning the race. So, you know, Verndon carried on and then he actually he managed to break it loose after two laps of running around smoking. It came off. I mean, everyone was like, "Okay, right. He should be fine now. He's back down to like fifth or six, and he's he's underway." But then he pitted, and I think everyone was surprised to buy us. Why? Why would he pit at that stage?
1: I don't know. Maybe mm, there was more damage to the car than than we saw from the outside. Obviously, it, it it looked terrible. Uh, with with the, well, with the front wing scraping along the asphalt and. We were fearing that he might be damaging his, his tyre as well in doing so. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he yep. just... W-
0: maybe there was low pressure in that tyre, like Dario Franchitti was saying in commentary. It didn't look like it was fully inflated, I must admit, but yep. maybe there was a slow puncture in there, and they obviously decided at the late stage that there was no point in changing the front wing and and the wheel because you're never going to regain that time back. Yeah.
1: But in fairness, I don't know why they retired the car. Uh, we will have to ask him about that. Um, yeah. No idea. It, it seems odd. You're right. It seems odd. He, he had a damaged car and tried to yeah get the front wing off by, by driving into walls, just like we, we've seen Pascal Wehrlein do it in Dieria. In, in, uh, Daria. in Daria. Um That's probably... I don't think he intended to hold up Felix da Costa like he did. Um, because I don't think he just—I don't think he just looked in into his mirrors um, when all of that happened in in turn eleven. But um, yeah, he tried to get the front wing off for two laps, then managed to do so, and it might have been the tire—he might have slit up, slit open the tire um, in in these two laps, uh, and the team had to retire the car. But in fairness, no idea. <laughs> no idea why they had to retire the car
0: it makes sense that it was obviously something with the car had obviously gone wrong because there was there was no need to bring him in essentially unless he got a black and orange flag but I wouldn't have expected a black and orange flag uh, for his car so therefore there must have been some sort of technical issue with the car or as you said some sort of damage with the wheel, because he was being asked to call in, but he, he didn't, he didn't go in, like they were going to change the front wing, that was the plan, the plan was to change the front wing and get him back out there, but Verne were not having any of it, because I think Vern knew if you change my front wing, I'm out of the points so what's the point, we might as well just soldier on, but, you know something must have been said, but it's it's you know, two out of three races now, jean eric Verne hasn't finished the race, so he's retired of two of the first three races of the season and, you know we can't still come out even at this stage for the title and becoming a triple Formula E champion because it, it, it's, it's that close. But again, it's, it, it's leaving Verne having to do Vern things towards the end of the season <laughs> to win the championship.
1: Yep. Um, we always talk about how consistency is a very important in Formula E because we, we always see these scrappy races and all sorts of things happen in, in a Formula E race. And it's important to keep scoring points. Um, we, we're we seeing Stoffer van Dorn doing that just right now. Uh, 15 points in both Diria races, now 8 points scored in, in Santiago. That's exactly what you, you have to be doing when you want to win a championship in, in FE. You don't have to be winning all the races, but you will have to score in most of the races. And... Um, that's what I think Sam Bird said after the race. He had the spin, obviously, and wasn't very competitive as well in the e but still managed to uh, squeeze out. I think he finished he in 10th in and had the fastest he lap. got the
0: fastest yeah. lap, so got two points. So two
1: very important points um, come the end of the year. And, well, Verne had now two non-scoring races. He scored four points in the second uh, Saudi race. Um, I'm not Again, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but that could be critical come the end of the year. And as you say, he of course can still turn the ship around, but he will have to do his normal Jev magic um, towards the end of the year. And I think it'd be and more comfortable. Stressful. Yeah, that's right. That's stressful. And I think it'd be more comfortable it, if... He was scoring consistent points like he's <laughs> well done, like he, yeah, like he was, doing. yeah,
0: and like everyone, like Van Dorn's doing, like you alluded to it there. Van Dorn's leading this driver's championship. He is. No one would have thought Mercedes would be leading the driver's championship even after round one, let alone round three. Yeah, he is, like. It's just incredible, but it's it's just consistency. But we can't read too much into it. Look at Jerome Dambrosio a bit last year. He wasn't winning races. He was just the most consistent driver, and he was in Group One and was leading the drivers' championships. So consistency is key because it will keep you up there for a long time. You know, Jerome was up there for a long time uh, as you know the, the drivers, the championship leader in season five. So, but yeah, but even Mercedes and and they look like they can be. They can continue the consistency. Obviously, I think a bit of bad luck will hit him at some point because it always does in Formula E, but it's, it's huge.
1: I think Jerome wasn't really that impressive last year. He was the championship leader, of course, because of his win in round two in Marrakesh. One of the most impressive drivers last year was was Mitch Evans. He only won one race in, in Rome, uh, had two second-place finishes, but... Uh, apart from that, 12 points, 2 points, 8 points, 6, 6 2 points, uh, two non-scoring races, uh, three non-scoring races. That's reasonably consistent. Not always great, but always in the t- within the top 10. And that meant he but finished you, P5 in the driver standings after the season ended uh, with a shot at the championship going into the last race. And he started out the year well. With well, 12, 12 points, two points, eight, six, six points in the first five races. Um, that's how you keep the championship hopes alive.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, br- brilliant from Evans as it was last season, but it's just, it's just massive. It's just, con- I still feel consistency is massive. But Vern is now, he's got to win races. He's got to win races at some point this season to then, you know, catch up. Because he's as you said, he's only got four points, okay? And yeah. now I think Van Dom's got 38. So you've already you got 34 points to then catch up. That's a race win and a little bit. And everyone else is going to keep scoring points. So, you know, he's he's forced, his hand's already forced if he wants to win the championship now to, to win races. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And as we were talking about Mitch Evans, we might as well talk about him because obviously got the pole and then sort of dominated the early stages of the race was able to take attack mode and keep the lead and then a curious decision maybe a decision that they might think back maybe wasn't the best decision they decided to take their second attack mode why they probably i can see why they did it because he could still keep the lead so he's got the attack mode he hasn't actually lost the lead of the race right so he's sort of defending from the front uh you could say but he sort of just ran out of pace in the middle of the race and didn't really, you know, fell into that gap of the undercut where he did manage to pull away, but then fell back into the undercut, or overcut, I think that's the correct um, phrase for it, with the attack mode, which is eventually what happened. He was then overcut by Gunther and da Costa.
1: Yeah, apparently it was a software glitch that, uh, well, quote-unquote, left him blind um, with him getting no guidance because he over-consumed energy, uh, without being able to get information, um, so we had to just eyeball it. it seems like it, um, or I don't know, right-footed. I don't know, or left-footed. Um, <laughs> still, um, something right went wrong. Right-hand it, right paddle it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what went wrong, but something certainly did, and. Uh, he was fighting with, uh, oh, I, I think that's only a saying in in German. Um, fighting Say it. Uh, with the uh, blunt weapons is the literal translation. Sounds very but German. That sounds very German. <laughs> yeah, but you get the idea. <laughs>
0: yeah, I do. I get the idea. He's fighting one. We have a saying in in England where it's one hand tied behind your back. So you're trying to fight, but you've got a hand tied behind your back. You can't use two hands. Yeah. And maybe, you know, that that was sort of the uh, problem. Evans had because he said it was basically off the line that he was like, I I can't I can't access what I want to access. So he basically had it from the start of the race, which is a bit of a shame. But you know, the pace sort of dropped off. He, his energy management, to be fair to him, wasn't atrocious. He was only about one percent more than the likes of Günther and the Costa behind. And Verline, so it wasn't like he was three or four percent ahead. He he managed it quite well, but it just wasn't enough. He just he just ran out of pace, and then you know he was overtaken by Gunther and DaCosta. Costa, and then that set up an epic Formula E type battle for the for the for the lead of the race.
1: <sighs> Shall we get into it? Into the lead fight?
0: Yeah, <sighs> for sure. Like it was. It was, it was, I know it's lifting and coasting. I know it's lifting and coasting, and you could say that the moves that were done were because one's lifting and coasting, but that's the whole point. That's the whole point why we get overtaken in Formula E. And I know some people critique that and say, well, it wasn't, they weren't both flat, you know, and trying to, you know, break as late as they can because one was lifting, but I still felt it was an, it was an awesome fight.
1: It was, yeah. Um... (laughs) I have no idea, and we've touched on on Tachita before, but I have no idea where their superior pace came from, uh, all race. And I had the impression Max Gunther was the only one who was capable of keeping up with Tachita's pace. Um, Still, Antonio Felix Acosta, now being the only one left for (laughs) for the Tachita after Jeff retired. Um, Still, he, he... Closed in rapidly after he passed uh, Mitch Evans. Um, reason being, him being a bit too ambitious, maybe with the battery, not with the with the energy consumption, but with the temperatures. We've seen temperatures of north of thirty three degrees Celsius, I think. Um, so temperature management and thermal efficiency was a key factor this race. Um, because keep in mind, if you if you overheat your battery over seventy two, I think degrees Celsius it is. Um, if you overheat them, um, they shut down, and you certainly don't want a battery shut down halfway through the race. Um, that being said, if you attack, you of course push put more heat into the battery, uh, so. As you're trying to close in on your competition, you're not only trying to save energy because you want to get to the end of the race, but you you also have to try to do that without putting too much heat into the battery, which is really a really it's a walk on the line. And when Antonio Felix Acosta closed in on Günther, he you could see that, or I mean, you couldn't see, but you could expect that he was overheating his battery at this point um, he asked his team for guidance in fact and uh, they were giving him the information no, you're all right you're all right you can go ahead and attack him but as soon as Antonio passed Max the team was telling him to change the regen mode uh, on his on his uh, steering wheel and cool down the battery because he was really really close in in uh, in fact to yeah, overheat uh, the battery completely and, uh, well, shut down his car. Um, and you, as I say, you don't want that to happen. Um, so he had to reduce the pace, uh, reduce the region, which meant, well, driving a bit slower. Um, and then we had this titanic battle on the last lap of the race because, well, Felix Acosta managed to eke out just a little bit of a gap and... Um, but then had to cool down his battery, and Günther being the the uh, very efficient German he is, um, yep. Yeah, he, he closed in, and uh, the clock ticked down to zero seconds just after they crossed the uh, finish line, um, giving us a brilliant setup for a final lap, a last lap fight to the line for the lead. And who won?
0: It was the one and only Maxi Gumpher. Well, Max Gumpher, and don't say Maxi. Don't say Maxi. Okay? I've been saying that's a it for like year ten last euros. Year. I think. I've been
1: saying it all year last year. I've, I've, I've spoken to him uh, before uh, October test, before Valencia testing in season five, and I was asking him, well, how do your friends call you? And he said, well, in writing, we've agreed PR stuff. That's all Maximilian. But yeah, yeah, call me Max. And then Jack Nichols started calling him Maxi for whatever reason.
0: And then everyone started calling him Maxi because it. that's what Jack Nichols says.
1: <sighs> trans Commentators,
0: they, they've got a big power. <laughs> they've got they've got powers. Yeah, but... Because it's true, like, it's true. They, they say one way and then people start saying it that way and you're like, that's not right.
1: <laughs> Even me, I'm saying Gunther for, for parts of my life. He's called Maximilian Gunther. But that sounds just wrong speaking English, so he's Max Gunther to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and you know there's another question i've got here now this won't affect like the listeners but maybe you've seen it in articles and I, it confuses me massively his <laughs> name spelling yeah, <laughs> yeah? why i see it i it's on formulary e. this is how how crazy it is his spelling right formulary e spell it g-u-n-t-h-e-r on the live timings on the graphics in their little document they write (laughs) their race report g-u-e-n where's the e finally come from (sighs) okay i don't get it on his on his race overalls it's g-u-n-t-h-e-r so that's how you spell his name so that's how you write his name where does the e come from well here's the thing if
1: his, the U in his name, in fact, is, is one of, of, the, uh, of the Umlauts. Yeah, or, so it's it's yeah. a, an Ü, not a U. Or the German U is U, and the U with the funny dots over it is Ü. So he's Max G, Max Günther. Um. We should have started the podcast. Oh, the language, <laughs> the, the Formula E-language podcast. So his real German phonetic name is Max Günther. However, as the English language doesn't have the U with the funny dots over it, uh, you can either go for just the U without the dots, or take the alternative spelling, um, which is UE. And Germans do that as well. Um, if you have um, th- these crossword puzzles, for example, and you're searching for, for the word Gunther, for example, um often you're not allowed to put in the umlauts. Um, there's also the uh, an O with the funny dots over it and the O and the A. As an alternative way of spelling, you could just put A-E-O-E or U-E. So that's where the U-E in his name and the timing comes from. Um, Any way is right, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. To have his name completely correctly, it would be U with the dots over the U. Um, Alternatively, in German, you could use UE or just go for the English spelling of GU, and I don't think he minds any of those spellings. Um, I have it easy as a German journalist. Um, I have the the Umlaut U on my keyboard, and I can always write Max Günther with uh, the U, U and the dots over it.
0: Yeah, I wrote Max Gunther with U N T H E R, obviously no dots on the top, but I was really annoyed when one of the editors changed it <laughs> to U E. I was like, no, that's not his name. If you read his overalls, it says Gunther, G U N T H E R. So, where's the E? I understand it. It's crazy. Imagine having like three different alternatives of your name, how to <laughs> spell your name. It's crazy. But, um,. But yeah, but just getting back again, love our tangents. Um, (laughs) Getting back to the Costa fight, I really felt that Cheetah decided, you know what? Let's just manage this race from the front. Let's get DaCosta to the lead of the race. Forget battery temps. Just get there. Just get to the front. And he did. And it nearly worked because he was two corners away. You can't forget. He was two corners away from winning the race. So I felt like when I was watching it, sort of, analyzing it i was like maybe they thought you know what, just go for it just get him just get the pass done and then don't let him pass manage the energy sit on the brake on the apex as much as you can don't let him pass obviously it's easier said than done yeah it's not like street tracks like say per- it probably would have worked in monaco even if he could have maybe have got past in monaco but i think that sounded to me like the strategy that they were going for It was sort of a do or die get past him manage it from the front and you never know we might win, so I, because I know the Costa says that maybe I could have managed to race differently and then been behind him on the last lap, ready to attack. But I reckon Günther would have had him. I think then Günther would have still had a good battery temperature and would have been able to manage the energy in the pace to make sure the Costa didn't get past. Because I, I, I think there's many different scenarios you can look at it of how he actually could have got past. Um, Gumpher, if he hadn't gone past when he did, but I think you're still giving Gumpher the assertiveness in terms of, well, I can do this because I'm not in danger here. I've managed my car fine. So I feel like it was just all out attack and then defend at all costs and see what happened from Tech Cheetah.
1: Yep. It takes something special to win in, well, in any racing series, but especially in Formula E, I guess. And that's what they tried. Almost worked, as you rightly point out. Um, but it didn't because Max went past him in turn eight or turn nine. Kind of, uh, yeah, still in turn yeah, eight and then sort of breaking for turn nine. He he completed it and, well, good on him. With three three corners to go, uh, making a move for the lead and then going on to win his first ever Formula E race. I think there are, there are worse ways to become the youngest ever race winning driver in Formula E.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was a great race. It was nuts. But yeah, what a great way to win it. You know, you, it was edge of deceit stuff. Edge of deceit stuff. You 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 didn't know what was going to happen. You knew turn 9 that was probably where it was going to happen. And it did. And you got to give full credit to Gunther because you know, he's still fairly inexperienced. I know he's got like well, you could say half a season and a bit under his belt. So, yeah, it was a great win, because obviously the cost has been here since season one, so he'll know how to manage a battery. And in those temperatures, Gunther was able to do it, and able to do it correctly, and enough to win the race. Because, you know, it doesn't matter, old-fashioned motorsport saying, it doesn't matter when you sort of pass for the lead, it's as long as who finishes first. Yep. So it doesn't matter if you do it the last corner, or the corner at the first lap you know, as long as you win the race, it doesn't matter, so for Gunther, I thought it was a, a fantastic drive, and I think, you know, I was a bit surprised in commentary, where Jack Nichols sort of said, you know, not much, people were surprised by the signing, I don't think I was surprised by the signing, I think he's a good driver, and he's a good talent, and you have to remember in testing, he he, he was strong in testing, I know it's a completely different environment, but he's brought that into into, you know, round one, two, and three, so far, so, you know, the BMW is a good car and if Gumford can be able to pick up some pieces, he's going to be a championship contender this season.
1: I find it really impressing how he developed in these last 12 months. And I, I tweeted about it over the weekend. Some of you might have seen it. Um, follow me, at Toby TobyTweetings. Um, I, I tweeted about it <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> nice plug! <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, it, it was a kind of a redemption story for him. Um, he was more or less inexplicably inexplicably sidelined and benched by Dragon after the Santiago Prix last year uh, being replaced by Felipe Naza who was just as unsuccessful as it was pointless um, after after three races then Dragon put Max back into the car and he surprised everyone with a uh, top five qualifying I think result uh in rome when he returned yep and now fast forward from that time he was benched by by jay pansky uh fast forward 12 months now he's a formula e race winner as a factory driver for bmw one of the biggest german car manufacturers out there way to go son brilliant stuff
0: it was it was brilliant brilliant and 74 likes that tweet got and 13 <laughs> retweets one of them from us obviously but only one person replied and it was actually quite a good tweet. So I think more people need to reply and probably some more retweets as well. I think that's everything for this this podcast. It was brilliant. It obviously, a crazy race. Tobias, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and sharing it with me. Oh,
1: thanks for having me on once again.
0: And thank you so much for everyone who's listening, commenting, favouriting, liking, doing whatever you need to do on all the socials to... to keep the podcast being going to as many people the audience figures are growing every podcast that we're doing and it's great to see it's great to see the feedback um, obviously if there's anything that you want us to improve or you know tell us what you'd like to see always let us know we're always open um, to any feedback but thank you so much for watching and we will see you very soon see ya